You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, a place where we practice a deep and authentic welcome, where we listen deeply to where love is calling us next, and a place where with humility, courage, and compassion, we act for justice in the world. To learn more, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning. It is so good to see all of you. My name is Jen Crow. I'm one of your ministers here at First Universalist Church. And I'll tell you, my favorite part of Sunday mornings is watching you all come in. It is by far the best of getting to see your faces and see everybody stream in. And uh, as many of you know, I was away traveling last week visiting my former congregation out in Rochester, New York. And it was such a joy to be with them and to be reminded of the life transforming connections that get made in our congregations, and it's even better to be home with all of you. So it's great to be here. Welcome here, whether you're brand new or whether you've been so many times that this place already feels comfortable and like home. We're so glad that each and every one of you is here today. And it's a joy to be leading worship today with Amy and Franco and Kit and Aaron and Julica and with all of you because we do this together. There are all kinds of ways to get involved and get connected here at First Universalist, so I want to encourage you to sign up for our newsletter. If you haven't done that already, you can do that on our website. Join us after the service for coffee hour downstairs. We have a grief group that meets online on Sundays at 4 o'clock, and this is for folks who are grieving all variety of things in their lives. This is led by the Reverend Karen Hutt, and I invite you to join that group today if that's right for you. Just, again, check out our website, and you'll find the link there. We also have lots of joy coming up here at First Universalist, so I want to remind us that we have a concert coming on April 24th with our very own Ellis Delaney. Uh, They'll be playing a concert here at 3 o'clock, and tickets are on sale at our website, and this is going to be such a great experience for all of us together, these experiences of joy and connection. Here at First Universalist, we center ourselves and ground ourselves together. We take a moment whenever we gather to take three deep breaths or three on-purpose breaths, as I describe it. It's a moment to allow ourselves to really arrive right here and to settle our bodies so that our spirits and our hearts can be open. So I invite you, if you'd like to, to engage in this process and practice of three on-purpose breaths together. For me, it always involves remembering that I live in a body my original home. (laughs) And so I'm putting my feet on the floor, feeling the places where my body touches the ground, or maybe it's the pew for you. Maybe it's the nice new pew cushions up in the balcony. Take a moment, and I invite us together to breathe in and to breathe out. To breathe in and breathe out. Once more at your own pace, breathing in, breathing out. From this grounded place, we remember our connection each to all. We remember that land and people and beings are not things to be owned but that we are interconnected, past and present and future, 
connected to each other through our shared breath and through the complexity of all of the stories we hold. And from this place, I will read for us The Butterfly Effect by the Reverend Teresa Soto. Let's take this in together. They write, I wish the knowledge were easier to come by, that individualism is just a scam, that you are always the butterfly wings, you are always a flap of the storm. Edward Lawrence, a weather scientist from MIT, is sometimes misquoted on this as the premise that the butterfly wing can cause a hurricane in a faraway land. Shorthand that it isn't all that close to representation of the math turned weather scientist's work. He proposed that should we make even a tiny alteration to nature, we will never know what would have happened if we had not disturbed it, since subsequent changes are too complex and entangled to restore a previous state. Which is to say that you have an immeasurable effect on the system. It will change and you will shape its DNA. You must not believe the lying lie that you do not matter, that whatever change you can organize is so insufficient as to not be worth your time, your energy, your life force. You must be willing to dream a dream that carries forward your community. This is how we rise. This day is polluted with a mistrust of truth, fertile and warm medium for unchecked cruelty and power. You must choose to scream the truth until every leaf and stone bears unrepentant witness to what happens when you try to cage and smash, to pin and frame a butterfly and their thousands and thousands of fabulous flamboyant friends. Let's be that group of fabulous flamboyant friends. And let us join in our words of covenant together as we light our chalice. Please join me in reciting the words for lighting the chalice. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Come and go with me. Let's sing together. Yes, that's stand all. And sing with us. <laughs> No, it's still awkward. What? Sing. Uh, this is 10:18 in your hymnal if you need it. Come and get, go with me to that land. Come and go with me to that land, till. Come and go with me to that land. Come and go with me. There'll be freedom. 
We are always grateful to welcome many voices and many experiences into the pulpit and to share their experiences with us. So we are delighted to have a video from our own beloved Nancy Jones this morning. Hi, I'm Nancy Jones. After more than 25 years at the First Unitarian Society, I had exhausted the patience of my friends as I talked about not having come to any sort of coherent religious philosophy. Developing that set of beliefs and practices, I told them, was my life's last major piece of unfinished business. Finally, at age 70, I made a New Year's resolution. I would find a new church. And so I came to First Universalist and began almost uninterrupted participation in small groups including the hugely rewarding Wellspring program for the next dozen years. From the small groups came important friendships, from folks I met in the pews on Sunday morning or in the elevator, I gained a sense of belonging to a larger church community. First Universalist has enriched my life immeasurably and I'm most grateful. There are so many ways in which I am unable to give back, thanks to various infirmities of old age, but what I can do is to provide generous financial support. I want to do everything I can to ensure that the church has the financial resources it needs to staff and support everything from religious education, to music program, to faithful action partnerships, to racial justice efforts in the community. My financial support for the church is not only for today, but also for times we shall never see. I am excited as I imagine all that First Universalist can become and is becoming as a beacon of hope, love, and justice in the city of Minneapolis and beyond. The notion of a river of life extending through the generations has always had great meaning for me. 
I like to think that in contributing generously to First Universalist, I am a part of that ever-flowing river. Thank you. Thanks so much, Nancy. For today and for times we shall never see, it is our financial gifts that support this institution, this congregation, these relationships that change us and change now and the future for Minneapolis and beyond. So we invite you, as always, to give generously to our annual giving fund and to make sure you make those gifts because they make up the majority of our budget for the church year and are so, so important. Thank you. And perhaps a story. Good morning. Good morning. So we are going to continue talking about the ACORN community. Um, are there some young ACORNs who want to come up to the chancel and become a part of the story? We're going to make this story together for the young and the young can at I, heart. Can I yeah, and if you're in the balcony, we'll wait for you if you want to come down and join in the story. Come on down. Yes. Welcome. Okay, we'll hold for about 15 more seconds. Oh, I see more acorns coming. Yes. Yes. Welcome. Welcome to the acorn community. We need as many acorns as possible in order to make change. So, when last... Oh, yeah, come on down. Yes. An acorn activist. We need... Oh, yes, another. Thank you. So... When last we were with our ACORN community, the young ACORNs wanted to learn about cracking open and sprouting. And they had convinced their parents that this was good, that they know the truth. However, there were some parents who still did not want their children to learn about the ACORN life cycle. And there were some parents who not only did not want their own young acorns to learn about the life cycle, they also didn't want anyone else's young acorns to learn about the life cycle. And so that they decided that they would pass a law that would prevent the teachers from teaching critical acorn theory. <laughs> Pass me the mic. Some parents felt that if, if young acorns learned about cracking open and sprouting, that it would make them feel afraid, that it would make them feel ashamed, that they would be responsible, feel responsible for things that they had no control or power over. And so in order to protect them, they thought, and to keep things from changing, they decided that they wanted to pass these laws. But the young acorns thought, oh, no, no, no. That's not going to work. <laughs> it is not healthy for us to be taught that things are different than the way that they actually are. That's right. And so the young acorns decided that they were going to do something about it. And that's where our young acorns come in. They decided that they would organize in order to change whatever laws had been created, and in order to stop more laws from being created, 
to prevent them from learning about the acorn life cycle. So my question to you, young acorns, is what are some of the things that they could do in order to make change? Oh, I see a hand. What do you think? Protest. Sure, they could protest. Excellent. Uh, so what would happen if one acorn protests? Do you think that will work? Will it be effective? No. I see a lot of acorns shaking your heads no. So they need a lot of young acorns and older acorns to come join in their protest. And so they have to organize. So how do you organize a protest? Okay. Mm -hmm. I Say it again, please. You could put up flyers. You could put up flyers. You could, yeah. You could spread rumors in school that the teachers didn't know about. Say that again. You have, you have to spread rumors in school that the teachers don't know about. Oh, you can let all the other acorns know mm -hmm. what's happening? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you got to gather the acorns together, I hear you saying. Get a large group of acorns and go protest. Can we have a little acorn pro... Oh, one second. You want to say something about protesting? No. No. Okay. I'll come back to you in a minute. We're can we protest see a, first. Can we see a protest? And we'll learn about other ways to organize. But who wants to be a part of the protest? Me. Okay. If you're protesting, uh, you might need a chant. What's a chant that the acorns could say? Yes. Who's going to say the chant? In the rainbow t-shirt. Yes. We want to learn. We want to learn... I had to grow. How to grow. <laughs> I okay. love it. We want to learn how to grow. That's our chant, okay? Uh, yeah, so come on up. Let's see a protest. You probably would make signs, so let's pretend we're having signs. And you can protest right down here in front of the chancel. Who's going to lead us? Who's going to? Okay, go for it. March. We're going to follow Here we go. You. We want to learn how to grow. 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 All right, good job. We want to learn how to grow. Have a seat. <laughs> good job protesting. Yeah. So Protesting is one way that they could organize, and it's important that it's more than one or a few acorns protesting, because protesting can sometimes be dangerous. Sometimes there are consequences, and if there are more of us, then that makes it a lot less dangerous for each one of us. Mm -hmm. So what's another way that they might organize? Um, maybe the acorns could go to some sort of like hearing or something? Yes. And they could have a bunch of um, acorns, like, say things about why they need to know these things. Yes. That's right. Yes, the acorns could show up in the legislative process and let their voices be heard. Is there somebody who wants to talk to the acorn legislative body about one or two reasons why... Acorn, crit critical acorn theory should be taught? Could you Hold come it. up here? We'll have you stand at the podium. Sure. Okay, great. Uh, one reason is if we're never taught these things, we could actually, um, these things could start happening and then we wouldn't know how to deal with them. Or 
um, be super scared or think we're different because it seems like we would be the only ones actually, like this is happening to us. That's right. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for your testimony at this hearing. Yes. Okay. And the more voices that the legislators hear, the more likely they are to change the laws, right? Um, any other ideas about ways that they could organize? Take it. Um, the acorns could die out if they don't turn it, sprout into trees because um, the, trees, the trees make more acorns. Right, that's right. That's yes. exactly right. That is an excellent argument to be shared with the legislative body. Thank you. They, acorns could um, just go extinct or just, or something else will bad happen to them if, if their parents don't teach them. That's yes. right, that's right. More good reasons that they could tell our legislators. Which is scarier? Growing into a beautiful tree that could nourish all more acorn life? Or having a human pick you up and then being lost in the darkness of a zipped up pocket? <laughs> That's right. Lots of great arguments to be shared with the legislative body. Can anyone think of any different ways to organize in order to have, to create change? Yes? You have to get out the vote. We have to get out the vote. Hmm, how do we get out the vote? Yes. The acorns could convince their parents to vote um, to change these laws. Ah, yes. So if one acorn convinces their family to change the laws, do you think that's gonna be effective? Yes, yeah. yeah. so the acorns need to get it together as many young acorns as they can. They have to organize each other to begin to talk to their families about how they want them to vote. So, um, can we see you all go and talk to your families or someone uh, in the congregation about why they should vote to teach critical acorn theory? Should we practice it right now? Yeah. yeah. How many people should each of us talk to? I don't know. Two, three, two. Yes. Two, okay, each Find one, two people three in the congregation. Two, whatever you want, ready? Go talk to someone. Ready, set, go. Sometimes talking to people about things that are really important to us can be scary. And what I saw was that some people didn't go alone. Some people went to talk to people with uh, two or three of their friends in order to make it a lot less scary, which is something that we all can do if we're afraid. So what did it feel like to talk to people about your issue? It felt good because um, we were gonna learn new things or do something different and change things. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was making a difference. Nice. Yeah, you are making a difference. And what did it feel like for those of you who had an argument for the legislative body, what did that feel like to make your argument in front of the government? <laughs> um, it felt like my voice was being heard, kind of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Thank Especially you. because they were just, um, just being there, like, helped be, yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And what did it feel like to have a protest? To actually march around and chant? What do you think, how was that? It feels like um, your voice is being heard and more and more people understand and they start protesting and, and then the people who are being mean don't have another choice but to um, tell the people to um, like what they want. Yes, that's right. Thank you. It felt scary because I almost tripped. <laughs> okay, that's real. Thank you for being honest. Yeah. Because sometimes it is scary, but if you had tripped, somebody would have helped you up because you had the whole community of activists around you, each of us supporting each other. And the way that we organize can be important for critical acorn theory. It could also be important for pink acorns matter or for the environment or for any issue that is important to us. The thing is, we can all sit around and grumble and complain to each other, or we can do things that make our voices heard, which actually is going to cause things to change. So thank you, Acorns. Please take off your acorn hat and leave it on the chancel. Thank you for being a part of the transformation we need it for the next of the one. forest. Can you pick it up, please? Thank you. Thank you, Amy. In a minute, we're going to invite the younger acorns in this congregation to go to RE. But regardless of whether we are staying in the sanctuary or going to religious education, we are all in the same project of finding ways to grow and learn and root and open our hearts. So apparently everybody knows what they need to do because they're already doing it. Excellent, have a wonderful time. And in the meantime, those of you staying in the sanctuary, feel free to greet each other, please. Say hello. From this space, this buzz of connection and growth and energy, we find ourselves here. All of us, these acorns bursting to grow. The energy of this place, past and present and future, with us. Dreaming a dream of how we will rise together. So let's arrive here, in this place of quieter connection, still feeling that thrum of energy in us. A moment for quiet, a moment for shared breath, a moment for connection. We remember together that we breathe in community, 
that the exhale of the trees is the inhale of our bodies, that the breath we share, animal, human, plant, earth, ancient ancestors known and unknown, always nourishing us with their presence and even in their absence. From this place, we remember that we are connected, each of us beautiful and unique, wanted and worthy, each of us a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. You are always the butterfly wings, the poet tells us. You are always the flap in the storm. Let go of the lying lies that tell you you do not matter. Let go of the scam of individualism, of separation, of impossibility. Turn the tables in your mind and heart. Flip the story. Remember, each and every one of us, born whole and holy and worthy, each and every one of us, born one more redeemer on this earth. There is a creative, life-saving, life-affirming, life-creating force in each of us, fragile as a butterfly wing and as powerful, too. You are always the butterfly wings. You are always the flap in the storm. A new way is possible. A new world is possible when we allow ourselves to dream a dream that can carry forward our community. From this place of possibility and care, we wing our love to all those whose lives are turning, turning in ways that are wanted, turning in ways that were never wanted. Our love reaches out to those who live in the path of violence, to those who know the weight of grief, to those who struggle with moral questions of who to follow and when or how to lead, to those who know the pain of war and destruction, to those who feel the connection, the suffering of their neighbors, their siblings, this earth, and allow themselves to crack open to the reality of interconnection, to all of us, who live in the constant turning of the cycles of our lives. We take time together to acknowledge the hopes, the pains, the people and places that are in our heart this morning. We take time to share out loud or name in the silence of our hearts these hurts, these hopes that are held here as tenderly as the butterfly wings. May love and care and connection be with us all. And may the grip of addiction be loosened. May the weight of oppression be lightened. May grief be shared. May truth be told. May joy break through. And may love make every suffering bearable for us all. May it be so. Amen. Thank you.
an immeasurable effect on the system. It will change and you will shape its DNA. You must not believe the lying lie that you do not matter, that whatever you can organize is so insufficient as to not be worth your time, your energy, your life force. You must be willing to dream a dream that carries forward your community. This is how we rise. Can I get an amen? amen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, that's pretty much the message. Okay, done, let's go. No. <laughs> I mean, I, I just need this message of hope and possibility right now so much. I need to believe that those words are true. Because I am tired. Can I get an amen? amen. I am overwhelmed. Amen. But I also refuse to give up hope. I refuse to say, oh well, that's just not how I'm wired. And I don't think that's how you're wired either because that's why you're here. That's one of the reasons you're here. So today I want to share with you some thoughts and be in dialogue with both my friend Teresa Ninansoto and also with Adrian Marie Brown. We will not cancel us, this very powerful little book. And the question I want to engage is what do we need in order to be able to mobilize and organize more powerfully? What do we need in order to be able to mobilize and organize more powerfully? Because we really need to lean into this challenge of not believing the lying lie that we do not matter. It is a lying lie, and I do not believe it. Now, part of what I want to share with you today, this message and this moment actually started a month ago for me when I was at City Hall. I was organizing and responding to the murder of Amir Locke, and I was part of the, um, the residence complaint process. That 
that was a very powerful day for me. I had a lot of feelings. I felt relief because there was something that I was actually doing, like I was actually moving my body, and that helped with the adrenaline. I felt joy because having moved here just last June, I had not had an opportunity to organize or to meet people um, in the community like I did that day. I felt angry that we had to be there. I felt sad. And the other thing I felt, and part of what I wanted to share with you today is, I felt this deep longing. And the longing that I felt was for all of you to be there with me. I wanted to see an ocean of people wearing yellow shirts. All right, if you don't want to wear the yellow shirt, that's okay. But I do want you to be there. I want to have, like, we have so many Unitarian Universalists in the Twin Cities. There is no reason we cannot mobilize three to 400 people at any given moment. It's really like, we can do this. And I want it so bad. And I, I think it is good for us. I think that this is the next level of where love is calling us. I think this is our next opportunity. So let me tell you a little bit more about why I think it's the next opportunity and what it's going to offer us and our communities. Adrienne Marie Brown, in this little text, We Will Not Cancel Us, is sharing some really important ideas about movement organizing and how to be in movement. And so I'm going to, I'm going to share a significant amount of her words and then dialogue back and forth with her. And some of you are going to tilt your head and go, didn't I just hear that a couple weeks ago? Yes, Arif referenced this as well in his message a couple of weeks ago, but it bears repeating. So, let me start with this. I have a vision that movements for social and environmental justice, particularly the black and brown formations within these larger movements, become living models of abolition. I can see it. In the short term, we generate small pockets of movement so irresistibly accountable that people who don't even know what a movement is come running towards us, expecting that they will be welcomed, flawed and whole, by a community committed to growth. Knowing that there is a place in this violent, punitive world that is already committed to and practicing a healing and transformative iteration of justice. As Maurice Mo Mitchell said, we have to have a low bar for entry and a high standard for conduct. A low bar for entry and a high standard for conduct. If that is not the description of a Unitarian Universalist congregation, I don't know what is. Like that is us. She's talking about us, like the whole universalist thing, everybody's welcome, everybody loved, the whole inherent worth and dignity. 
in these congregations, in this church, we bring all of ourselves to this space. We are healing and whole. That same healing energy can be leveraged in organizing spaces. Organizing doesn't have to be about fighting an enemy, about punitive and combative engagement. Adrienne Marie Brown is challenging us to see how organizing work is also fractal, and how we behave with each other in movement spaces is in and of itself a liberatory practice. More. In my midterm vision, movements prioritize building the capacity, skill, and wide hearts to receive new comrades while practicing daily and deeply what it means to sustain our relationships and collective visions, uphold our values, and adapt towards purpose. We find ways to bond that aren't limited to pettiness, gossip, cliquishness, which can be fun and then so destructive. We get skilled at critique that deepens us, conflict that generates new futures, and healing that changes material conditions. Again, that's what we do. That is covenant. That is, that is how, if we focus on how we are being with each other, we, we engage organizing as faith formation, as a process of spiritual growth for ourselves. And speaking of spiritual growth and of taking care of ourselves, I want, to, I want to say, so far I've been speaking to all of us, at least I've been trying to. But for those of us who are black and indigenous and people of color in particular, I also want to name that we are healing our generational trauma too. And so our work as people of color is to focus on our joy and our liberation. If organizing gives us joy, and helps us feel powerful, then we should organize. And when it's time to let our white allies do the organizing, then we need to let our white allies do the organizing and rest. There will be people of color leading the way, and our white allies will be following those people of color, not with me. They will be following those people of color. But in that vision that I have, it is not something that all of us need to do all the time. We can take shifts. We can take care of ourselves because there are so many of us and it is doable. And I believe that this energy of healing is palpable. That's what Adrienne Marie Brown is saying when, when she says it's so attractive, people run towards us without even knowing what movement is. People want to join us. People see us wearing these yellow buttons or yellow shirts, and they're like, who are those people? Why are they always doing all of these things? I need to learn more about them. And we grow as a result of it. And then more people join us, and the movement gets larger. And then people in power are like, well, that's a lot of people. I don't know if we can keep doing things the way that we've been doing things. I think we actually have to come up with a different way of doing things, because that's a lot of people. We cannot continue business as usual. Adrian Marie Brown says, I have a vision of movement as sanctuary, not a tiny perfectionist utopia behind miles of barbed wire and walls and fences and tests and judgments and righteousness. 
but a vast sanctuary where our experiences as humans who have experienced and caused harm are met with centered, grounded invitations to grow. In this sanctuary, we feel our victory, where winning means a mass and intimate healing where winning isn't measured by anyone else's loss, but by breaking cycles of abuse, harm, assault, and systemic oppression. Where winning is measured not just by the absence of patterns of harm, distrust, and isolation, but by the presence of healing and healthy interdependence. Healthy interdependence. That's, for me, that's like, yes, yes, I need that, I want that. Because we are all healing from white supremacy culture, from the lying lie of individualism, of perfectionism, of it's only me, it's up to me, and I better get it right. You've heard me talk about the ethic of control. You've heard me talk about the idea that when we believe that our goodness depends on our ability to control the outcome of our actions, that is a straitjacket. That is very difficult to move against because you better get it right or you're bad. And we need to move beyond that. We need to release that need to control. And especially those of us with privilege, we are learning to follow because we're accustomed to managing, to analyzing, to reading 500 books to make sure that we have it all right before we get out there because we have to get it right. That's what we're getting rid of. And I wanna share with you this story that I think illustrates it well. My friend and colleague, Brian Ferguson, was serving a congregation in Texas. And he wanted to get to know the community and he wanted to do interfaith work. And so he joined a group of people that were organizing the MLK event. And the majority of people there were African-American pastors. And he made himself known and he attended the meetings. And eventually when it was time to sign up for tasks, one of the pastors said, would your congregation be willing to help and bring some sheet cake to the event? Could you bake and bring some sheet cake? And Brian said, absolutely, we'd be glad to bring the sheet cake. And he went back to the congregation and he said, they want sheet cake. And our beloved UUs, they formed a committee. And in this committee, they started talking about pies and brownies and muffins. And Brian said, sheet cake. They asked for sheet cake. We're going to make sheet cake. But the pies and the gluten-free, the sheet cake. OK, so they made the sheet cake. They brought the sheet cake. And one of the organizing pastors came to Brian and said, you're the pastor of the Unitarian Universalist. You were in charge of the sheet cake? Yep, that's me. Thank you very much. Would you please give the benediction? Because, of course, it was a test. Like, can you actually do what we need you to do? And the answer is yes, we can. We have an opportunity to follow. We have an opportunity to say yes, and an opportunity to look for healing among us and the larger community. Our work is to figure out what do we need to let go of, and what are we being called to grow into next? I think that's our edge. I know it's my edge. And I believe that we are ready to do this. And I believe that Minneapolis is an excellent place to do this because there's a lot of change happening. There's a lot of things moving right now. 
I think that we can be instrumental in the same way that we were around marriage equality. I think we can do this. It's time for us to do this. And I do want to acknowledge that some of you in this congregation have been doing it. I do see you. I see you. I love you. I appreciate the hard work that you've been doing. It's time for all of us to join up and to just say yes, to follow. And we have a team of people getting ready, getting some vests, vests so that you don't have to change your shirt. You can just wear the yellow vest on top. <laughs> or a button, if you just want to wear a button, or nothing at all, if you just want to show up. But we're going to get together and pray. We're going to get ready. Then we're going to go do the action. Then we're going to come back and we're going to process. How do we feel? What did we learn? We're going to turn in the vests and we're going to go home. And then we're going to do it again. Maybe we're going to have an activist choir. Maybe we're going to show up and sing. Who knows what else we're going to do? Because we're going to organize and we're going to have ideas just like the kids did. Like we're just, we're just going to say, let's try this and let's try that. I think that should be fun. This is how we rise. This day is polluted with a mistrust of truth, fertile and warm medium for unchecked cruelty and power. You must choose to scream the truth until every leaf and stone bears unrepentant witness to what happens when you try to cage and smash, to pin and frame a butterfly, and their thousands and thousands of fabulous, flamboyant friends. That's us. Let's do it. Amen. Que así sea. Blessed be. Sing with me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ, that's F I R S T U N I V, to 73256 to make your gift. If you are able to join us in person for Sunday worship, we'd love to see you in church. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.